Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place. I'm your host, Craig Couch, and every week it's my job to interview top performers and unlock the secrets of their success so that you and I can apply some of their thought patterns, daily rituals, and strategies to our own missions. This week's guest is Heidi Schwartz. She's the executive director of the Cowtown Marathon. With Heidi's direction, the event has nearly tripled in size since 2004, with over 25,000 participants and seven races taking place typically the last weekend in February. In 2006, she created the Cowtown Marathon's associated nonprofit organization called CAF, which stands for Children's Activities for Life and Fitness which in the past 11 years has provided over 40,000 pairs of running shoes to disadvantaged children along with greatly reduced entry fees for the Cowtown Kids 5K run. By bringing fitness awareness and running enthusiasm to local schools, Swartz, a runner herself, is invested in making the city of Fort Worth a healthier place to live. Swartz was awarded the Great Woman of Texas Award in 2016, She served on the original committee that formed Fit Worth, the mayor of Fort Worth's Healthy Living Initiative, and remained on the board serving as secretary. She serves on the marketing advisory board for Visit Fort Worth, on the board of directors for the Fort Worth Sports Commission, and serves as secretary for the National Trade Organization Running USA. Heidi Swartz is also a successful and in-demand speaker and consultant for other race events acting as an expert in race management and producing multiple events throughout the year. The Cowtown Marathon was recently voted America's favorite race, finally edging out the Boston Marathon. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you've got quite a resume, and that was a mouthful of an introduction. You have really made a huge impact on our city and a, a good diving in point might be about running in general. Uh, and just as a non-runner, um, it seems to be a little bit binary. And what I mean by that is it's sort of like, I mean, it's kind of like uh, uh, cilantro. You know, you either love it or you hate it. Um, walk, <laughs> us, walk us through why you think that is. Well, you know, I, I think it's different for everybody. I was not a runner until after I worked for Cowtown for multiple years, and I decided I had to be, become a runner so I would understand what the runners were asking for because I, they were asking for just crazy things. I had no idea. So I, I think it's all – it's individual. I, I know that there's, there's some people that say, oh, I hate, I hate running, and then you get them out there, and they cross the finish line, and all of a sudden their world – opens up and then they're in love with it and they're addicted to it. And they have to find every race in the world to go to because it's just so exhilarating. So I think anybody could become a runner. They just have to have the right experience to enjoy it. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. And that I didn't expect you to, to answer the question that way. So what you're saying is you became a runner as a result of volunteering for the, uh, to, to serve uh, the Cowtown Marathon. Yeah. So, I mean, I started, I I ran Cowtown before I worked for Cowtown once I was forced to, because my son was at an elementary school that was on a school team 
and they required a parent to go with him if he wanted to participate in the cowtown. What was that like? Tell me, tell me what it's like to be forced to run. It was brutal. We ran the 10K when the race was down in the stockyards back in 1994. He was in fourth grade. And we got to downtown halfway through and he sat down on the curb and said, I'm not going any further. And I'm like, Oh no, you made me do this. I'm making you do this. And we, we finished, but it was brutal. But when we came across the finish line, it was the most amazing, amazing, exhilarating experience. And he and I both run now. I, and that's what got me to apply for the job because I experienced the Cowtown. I experienced coming through the finish line with the runners and they're so motivating and I was like, what a cool thing to be able to do. And I turned in my resume to the Cowtown the next year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And yeah. so you've been running basically since, what is it? Is that 2004 or something? Like well, that? no, that was in 19. I started working for Cowtown in 1996. That was when I was the assistant to the director. And I ran that one time in 1994. I got hired in 1996. I didn't run again until 2003. And that's in the summer of 2003, I became executive director and figured, okay, now I really got to start running and figure out what they want. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I, uh, as I think about running itself, it is, uh, I'm a cyclist. Um, I love, I've raced competitively for years. And one of the differences that is in cycling is that unless it's a criterium and it's one of these long races, the ending is pretty darn anticlimactic uh, because there's no energy at the end, uh, especially if you're not in the top 10. But even if you are the winner, uh, it's just like, uh, for whatever reason, there's really no real energy there. Um, and that energy, I think, do you feel like, um, do you feel like runners feed off that energy uh, between races? In other words, you know, having something to look forward to, having a race, signing up for a race, and then, you know, preparing for that race seems like uh, seems like a cadence that can be addicting. Most definitely. It is addicting. Um, and runners tend to register for multiple rest, uh, races far out in advance so that they have goals to to get to. So it's really the race isn't isn't the most important thing. It's the journey from the time it takes to, tra to train from the beginning to that, you know, 26 weeks or whatever, how many weeks it is to get ready for that marathon. It's that journey in between that is so, so important to the runners. I mean, finishing is amazing. And that's what, you know, you, you do, you've got a lot of celebrate the finish line, but it's the journey in the middle. Yeah. That is thing. Well, and I've noticed, um, you know, the cycling community has quite a bit of camaraderie, but I don't think it really compares to the running community. I mean, as these people are, are journey journeying right between races, uh, man, they, they, I, I'm on the trail all the time. I'm on the trail at least three, sometimes four times a week. So I feel, uh, what's going on around me, just watching these larger groups early in the morning, running together, uh, it just seems so, uh, so much like a community. Um, and we have that some in cycling, but it's, it's not compared to r running. Yeah, no, it's definitely a community. I run with a group and we call ourselves the running family. And we truly do feel like we are a family. Everybody is connected. We keep in touch. We all run together. We probably run past you on the trails on a Saturday morning because 
it's a but then there's other groups too and we all come together it it makes it makes the running so much more fun when you're running with people people say you know it's an individual sport but no it's not it is on race day but as you're leading up to it it's it's a group sport everybody comes together and runs together well and you know let's 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 talk about that a little bit. So this, this training, um, for a marathon, let's, let's use that race as, as kind of a, a, an introductory point, you know, training for a marathon probably has all kinds of theories, just like training for a bike race. I mean, there's, there's so many, uh, opinions out there on how to go about preparing. Do you subscribe, um, to the longer training programs, or do you think the short interval training is more effective for a marathon racer? For marathon, it's the long training program, I believe. I think that you're going to be less likely to get injured if you do that rather than the short intervals. Um, you need to stay focused and get in those long runs. Um, <clears throat> but do it gradually, because mm-hmm. don't do it gradually, that's when you're going to get hurt. Well, and as you think about introducing, because I mean, with this this calf program, you've uh, which we'll get into here in a little while, but the you know you're you're obviously very focused on introducing uh, young people to this to the sport of running. Um, just in general, how would you suggest um, a person start this running world? How to how's, what's the best uh, entry point? I guess is my question. Well, I guess first is if you've never run, you need to start by walking because you want to build up your mind. You want to start by walking and then add a little running into it. And the other thing is to make sure that you've got the right shoes. The shoes make or break a runner. If you don't go out and get properly fitted, you could really hurt yourself. So you want to make sure that you go to a specialty store, get fitted for the shoes, and then build up your mileage. You want to do it gradually. You want to do it slowly. That first week, you're, you're going to run two miles, you know, and maybe you'll do that two times or three times that week. And then you just, but you do it really gradually and slowly because otherwise you're going to hurt yourself and then you're going to be back to zero. So, and, yeah. and, and buddy, find somebody to do it with because it's so much more fun when you get to run with somebody. Right. And there's that accountability too, which is pretty important to, to know that that person's waiting on you at the trail. <laughs> oh yeah. If you, if you know that somebody's there at 6am waiting on you, you're going to get out of bed a whole lot quicker than if you, it's yes. just well, you going I think, by yourself. Uh, sometimes I observe runners on the, on the trail uh, and it looks like they are in such pain. Uh, many cases. And it's like, it's really interesting because I think that mistake this person's probably making is that they're just pushing themselves a little bit too hard on the front end. Uh, and I think you're right in starting just by walking and then working your way up to running because the runners that are enjoying themselves look as if it's completely effortless. Yes. And they're paying attention. They're paying attention to their body and they're listening to things that hurt. And when they hurt, you need to slow down. You need to stop. You need to stretch, you know, and, and pay attention to those. I have learned the hard way, you know, running and, oh, I've got a knee pain. So I keep on going or I've got an ankle pain and I keep on going and end up that I have a stress fracture. And it's because I kept on going instead of listening to my body. So it's you've got to pay attention to those things. Yes. And it's not the no pain, no gain type approach at all. <laughs> no, not 
No. Well, I've got a buddy, um, and you guys, you probably know Dr. Mohall. Uh, oh, yeah. Dr. Mohall has always been my uh, physical therapist, that guy. Anytime I have a, a creak or a, or a pain of any sort, he fixes it. It's pretty incredible. And I'm sure that he has a great relationship and probably attends all the marathons, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. And he's spoken for us, too. So Awesome. Well, I need to get him on the podcast. So if you're listening, Brian, I'm coming after you next. <laughs> Well, so let's let's shift gears and talk about the race itself. I mean, it's been around for over 40 years. I think it started in 1979. And um right. and since 2004 with your leadership, Heidi, you almost tripled it in size. So, uh what were some of the what were some of the key decisions you made along the way to experience the growth like like you had? There were a couple. Uh one of them First and foremost was that we started traveling to other races. We went to San Antonio was the first expo we went to um, after I took over. And people didn't even know that Fort Worth had an event. They knew Dallas had an event. They knew Houston. But they would come to our booth and say, who are you? And we'd say, Cowtown. And they say, oh, Dallas. And we'd say, no, Cowtown. And so it was all of a sudden we realized people did not know unless they lived in Fort Worth, they didn't even know we were around. So we traveled all over to Oklahoma and to Washington, D.C. and to Kansas and all around to Texas to all the races and let people know that Cowtown actually existed. The other thing we did is we changed our uh, medal. In 2009, we, 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 well, we started adding – Cowtown used to give little finisher trophies – uh, for a while, and but we didn't do finisher medals. And so all of a sudden we started giving finisher medals. Medals are where it is with a lot of runners because they want to earn that bling. And then in 2009. <laughs> Did you say they want to earn the bling? <laughs> they want to earn the bling. They do. That's awesome. But uh, 2009, we added a challenge where they had to collect a medal every year for five years. And it formed as the star of Texas when they finished. So we captured a, uh, we captured an audience that had to stick with us for five years and they had to do all five years to be able to put their medal together to make it one piece. And so we did that from 2009 to 2013. We did another one of those series from, you know, uh, let's see, 2009 to 2015, I think it was, and then 2016 to 18 and then 2019 to 20. So we had these different series and they had to collect the pieces, but then it got you. So you had a captured audience and they had to come back. And if they didn't come back, they didn't get the complete picture puzzle. And so it got people talking. It got people turning. It got people coming. Not all of them came back, but it got them talking. And then all of a sudden they wanted to join in on the next metal series or the next metal series. And that made big difference. Now, was that an idea that you gathered from your travels? In other words, you, you, it sounds like you really are trading notes with other, uh, race promoters. Is that, was that an original idea or one you got from another race event? We do gather notes from other races, but that was an original idea. We were actually the first race in the United States to offer a race series in 2009. What a brilliant, that's a great idea. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, you create this, this real cool need um, to complete something. You know, you get the race itself yeah. every year, then you zoom out a little bit and create, you know, five points to the star. 
<laughs> it's, exactly. It's all about that's the exactly bling. what it was. <laughs> were there it any? It's all about the bling. Yeah, that's so cool. And so now, um, were there any other uh, things that you did or strategies that you did to help triple the size of the race in that short amount of time? We added the half marathon. I think that made a big difference because it was it, it was a more doable distance for runners. They you, before we just we had the five k, ten k. In the full, so you're jumping from a 10K to a full. That's a huge jump going from six miles to 26 miles. So we added the half marathon. So then they could go from the six to the 13. And from the 13, they could go to the 26. So it was a much more gradual jump, but it would give people an opportunity to progress in their in their running um, in a more reasonable way. And I think that made a big difference. And our half marathons, our kids race is our biggest race. And then the half marathon is second biggest. Oh, wow. Okay. That, I didn't expect that. So it's bigger. The half marathon is bigger than the 10K. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, so now I'd like to know a little bit about the organizational chart for the Cowtown. I mean, you've got, you know, I was shocked, completely shocked to read that there are 4,000 volunteers like if you were yeah. going to ask me, hey, Craig, if you were going to ask me to guess, I'd have guessed 500. Um, but this is that's just an incredible amount of volunteers. Describe to me how the operation works a little bit behind the scenes of how that works. Yeah, it's an army of volunteers. When I it was myself and one other full time employee. And then we had a hundred what we call chairmen below us. And each one of those chairmen is is a volunteer, but there's they're um, working a certain area. So we've got the chairman of the water stops, chairman of packet pickup, chairman of shirts, you know, different specific areas. And then that chairman is responsible for bringing volunteers under their umbrella to help them with their space, with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this pyramid system of volunteers. Wow. So how many how many chairmen are there? Right now, I've got about 84. 84 chairmen that are in charge of their cells, basically, of other volunteers. Yes. And so I know you've got sponsorships, right? And so do sometimes those chairs um, intermingle with the, with the sponsors themselves? Most definitely. So like uh, Miller Brewing Company, they've been a sponsor for 43 years, and they have a volunteer team that does nothing but our 10K water stop. And they've been doing that for 40 years. And so they have a chairman that's over that water stop and they've got their volunteers that they bring in from Miller Brewing Company. And we don't even have to worry about that water stop. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it long enough and they just take it on and they do it. Wow. And so how many people are on your full-time staff? Um, I have, oh, let's see, one, two, three other full-time people. So, and I've got a couple part-timers. Wow. And so what are their, what are their roles? Um, you know, so I have one person that's in charge of all of my um, course design. She handles everything with regards to the course or courses, I should say, because there's seven of them. So she, she designs the courses. She has a course committee of volunteers she works with that helps her design the courses. And then she's also in charge of uh, entertainment on the courses and getting all the cheer groups, all the neighborhood associations, anybody community-wise, she handles all of that. Uh, then I've got another full-time staff, and she's in charge of nothing but our training program. 
So we have a training program that goes year round and we train kids, we train adults, we get them ready for Cowtown, we get the kids ready for the calf race. So she visits schools and trains all the children. And so she does nothing but training. And then my other full-time staff, he does um, all of my, uh, manages all of our registrations. So we've got all the runners that are registering. He manages all the registrations, uh, sending out all of our e-newsletters, all of the communication to the runners. Incredible! It's just a, it's yeah. just a, it's just an amazing thing that you do. Um, so the, the the one thing that I've that, that one misconception I had was the Cowtown seems to be such a part of the community that I actually thought it was a city run thing. Like you are making mm-hmm. such a direct impact on our community. I thought, well, this must be uh, run by the city. And I've never really, I never really knew that um, it was a separate organization. So you, you, you seem to be developing this incredibly robust hub um, of, for the community. In other words, you've, you've got lots of synergies going on, um, between Fitworth and Blue Zones and s- probably Streams and Valleys. I'm just guessing oh, yes. just a few. So what are some of the notable outcomes that you've seen, positive outcomes that you've seen as it relates to being kind of, in my view, the hub for the community, the fitness community? Um, notable outcomes. Well, I, you know, I just think that we're able to make a connection with the schools. We've got such a good relationship with the schools. A notable outcome would be that we are getting kids outside and active and fit. We have such a good working relationship with um, streams and valleys and letting people know about our trail system. It's an amazing trail system. It's a hidden gem in Fort Worth. If you are not out there on a bike or out there running or walking, you don't even know about it. So for us to be able to get that exposure for people to know that we've got this wonderful training field you know, that people can go and use. Um, and then, you know, Fitworth, I think that we work really well in tandem with Fitworth and Blue Zones and the, we've got a, just a, a really good partnership. We're, we're constantly meeting together to figure out what we can do to promote fitness in the community. It's, it's good for the whole community because the fitter this community is, the more businesses are going to want to be here in Fort Worth and have their companies here because then they know they're going to have healthy employees and those healthy employees are going to produce for those companies. So, I mean, it's just, it's really well-rounded that we can with Fort Worth and Streams and Valleys, promote the city of Fort Worth, bring in more companies into Fort Worth, which builds the Cowtown. It brings me more runners, but it also builds our community. And that's, that's what we need to be a partner with everybody and make it. So it's, it's going to benefit all of us. Well, I have friends with a CEO of a big company that I won't name, but um, he, he mentioned that very thing. Just the, there's a connection between fitness and productivity uh, with, with his team. He's, I mean, he's got hundreds and hundreds of employees and he's, he just, you know, there's not much you can do about it as a CEO, uh, but he's he's definitely made that that correlation. Um, and one one interesting observation um, that I've really noticed since the the kind of the COVID pandemic panic stuff that's been happening all year pretty much is that the the trail has become much more. Uh, busy in a positive way. Like I've noticed a lot more people 
uh, running on the trail, riding their bikes on the trail, much more, uh, a lot more families are out there now. It's pretty incredible. Can you comment a little bit about that? Has there, have you seen the same thing? I have seen the exact same thing. I mean, even out there myself running in the mornings, it's so much more. I've tended to stay on the other side of the trail just so it's, so I'm not around as many people because there's so many, it's wonderful to see. Um, hopefully it continues. That's, that's the biggest thing is we, you know, use it as a launching pad to get these people to stay out there and stay active. And even in our neighborhoods, you're seeing so many more people out walking their dogs, just walking as a family, cycling. Um, it's good. It, I mean, if we're going to find any silver lining in this COVID stuff, I think that is one of them is it's making people more active being more connected with just their family in nature. Yeah. Out in nature and connecting and, uh, getting fresh air, <laughs> getting away from the TV, which is pretty cool. So, um, just the Cowtown itself as a race, um, how does it compare to other events in Texas? Okay, so right now that, um, we kind of go back and forth between us and Houston as being the largest multi-event in the state. So like I said, back in 03, we were the smallest. And now some years were the biggest in Texas, and then some years were the second largest. Right, right now it's Houston, Cowtown, uh, I believe it's Austin, San Antonio, and then Dallas. Okay. Well, that's Nobody pretty. Nobody gets that. Yeah. Nobody realizes yeah. that we're bigger. I mean, you know, everything, everybody always says everything's, you know, big over in Dallas, but we're big, we're a much larger race than Dallas and people don't realize that. No, I definitely didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, you've got, you've got this huge event with 25,000 participants. Um, I'm just curious from a, from a logistical standpoint, how do you systemize uh, unexpected problems that come with the weather. Yeah. Can you tell us a story about bad weather? I remember one year they called it snowmageddon. <laughs> Ice-mageddon. <laughs> Ice-mageddon. Okay. <laughs> Ice-mageddon. That's worse than snowmageddon. <laughs> yeah. And it was in 2015. Uh, it was beautiful weather leading up to it. 60s. We moved into Will Rogers. We always move in a week ahead of time prior to the race. And so we started, we, we move our entire office, our entire facility to Will Rogers with semi trucks. Um, and so it's the moving companies show up and we're moving all these trucks over there. It's beautiful weather. But then on Tuesday, I got a phone call from emergency management saying there might be a little weather on Friday. So they hooked me up with, you know, National Weather Service, talked to them. They said it could be just a light dusting, but it'll just be on Friday. It'll be gone. There's, if the ground's warm enough, it's not going to stick. It's not going to freeze. You're going to be fine. On Thursday, they called and said, okay, it looks like it might be a little bit more. So get on the call with National Weather Service. It was me and all the, all the school districts and around DFW area and, and all the universities. And they said, you know, School will be fine on Friday after school. There may not be football games after school. So, but you should be good by Saturday morning because it's not going to stick. So Friday morning, I'm, I'm prepared that, you know, we might have some, you know, cold weather. We might have a little bit of sleep Friday morning, get up. I, I actually stay at Will Rogers Memorial Center the week of the race in my travel trailer. So I'm just like there. So I get up, I walk over into the exhibit hall. 
everything's fine. It's about seven in the morning. We have vendors moving in. The expo opens in four hours. I look out the window, big giant snow snowflakes coming down. And this is at eight in the morning, 8.30 in the morning. And I could not get somebody to get me to the emergency management office downtown because the roads were so bad. And it was like a mass exodus coming out of downtown Fort Worth. And so we got a four-wheel drive to get me down to the uh, EOC downtown. And we got in there and just all of a sudden, you know, you plan for a whole year to put on this one event. And then uh, in just that moment, we had to replan the whole event in 12 hours time and just you know, it's, it's adapt. You adapt and you, you, you move forward. And that's what we did. Um, we had to cancel all of our Saturday events on Saturday. We met back at the emergency management office downtown and the city. I cannot tell you the wonderful relationship we had with them. We all divided and conquered and drove our courses and decided what we could do, what we couldn't do, what could help us, what they couldn't help us. And we came back after all of us driving and determined that we couldn't do anything except the half. That we had enough manpower to clear the roads for the half marathon. And so that year we had 28,000 runners register. And we had to cancel for everybody except the half. And we told anybody that wanted to run the half that couldn't run the race they were registered for to show up and they could do that. And we had 6,500 run the half marathon that year. We made the first race in the United States to have a virtual run. Now there are virtuals everywhere because of COVID, but we were truly the first one back in 2015 and we let everybody run their races virtually and we had over 10,000 runners run virtually. And how, okay, well, I'm confused. How do you run a race virtually? <laughs> well, that's the thing is if you were registered for the 10K, you knew you needed to run 6.2 miles. So you would find your, you would run your distance wherever you were, whatever time you wanted. You would record your time either on your watch or on your phone, and then you'd submit your results. And once you submitted your results, we would give you your finisher swag. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. Well, that, that makes sense. Well, yeah. that's just an, you know, I've got kind of a nerdy question just about, you know, you've got 82, I think that's what you said, 82 chairman. Uh, you know, this ice Mageddon thing is happening. How do you communicate uh, urgent things to that many people that are they're, they're a volunteer army, right? Uh, mm-hmm. How do you communicate with them? What what method specific method do you use? Well, in 2015, we we used email. So we did nothing but craft different emails. And I already have some emails ready. So even before 2015, we already have mail that's paired that says, we have a name, this is what we're doing. We have ice, this is what we're doing. So we already had some of those pairs. We just tweaked them and then shut them out. And we sent them out to our chairman and then we sent them out to all the volunteers and then, you know, to the runners. But so, like I said, you just have to, we have every scenario prepared and then you tweak it and you send it out. Yeah. I, little different now we can do things through you know text um we can do things through you know social media through facebook through messenger but back in 2015 it was 100 percent email wow that's incredible well um i want to shift gears um heidi and talk about the runners themselves 
uh, and I want to get this part out of the way up front here, but you know, in any competition, um, cyclists are definitely, um, most guilty of this. Um, there is a deep desire to win. Um, and in any environment, um, even in business, my real estate business included, there are cheaters. Um, what are some of the ways that people have cheated in the past? And do you have any particular stories about that? Yeah, I've had cheaters, actually. Um, there was, well, back, there was one year. Um, so I give bibs to elite athletes. So if we have an elite athlete that meets a certain criteria as far as their finisher time and their pace, then they can qualify to get a free entry into the Cowtown. They, they have to have a really high standard in their race times. And if they do that, then we will give them entry. Uh, sometimes we'll give them a hotel room and help them with some travel expenses because we want those elite athletes to come into our, to our race. We can want some fast times on a race because that's going to give us some national exposure. Uh, I had a runner from Oklahoma. I sent him free entry, his free race. And he ended up being injured or something and wasn't able to run. But instead of just notifying us, he gave his bib away, which is big no-no. You don't give your runner bib away. First, it's for many reasons. But he gave it to another athlete, and that athlete came in and ran under that. He won. He came through. He won our full marathon. He won the twenty-six miles. He came and he he came through. I have a media tent right at the finish line, so of course the journalist take him off to start interviewing him. One of my staff comes to me and says, I don't think that's your guy. I think it's a different guy. So I kind of, you know, I've got jerk interviewing him and I've got one name for him and he's got another name. And so it kind of a bit of a problem. So I kind of walked up to him and he had, he had blisters. And so his feet were bleeding. And so I just interviewed, I just interrupted the interviews. I said, you know what? We'll let you guys interview him, but he's got to go to medical because he's got blood all over his feet. And so let's get him to medical and get him taken care of, and then we'll we'll reconvene. And so we got him across the street. I got him into medical, and he looked at me. He says, you're going to DQ me, aren't you? And I said, yeah, you're going to get disqualified. And I said, because you're not who you're supposed to be, are you? He says, no, my buddy just gave me this bib. I said, and that's one of our rules is, you run with the bib that you're assigned and that's for many reasons. I mean, you know, it's not fair to all those runners that pay a hundred dollars to come run a marathon. This guy got in for free under somebody else's name, not with the times that that other guy had submitted. And then he went once. So we, we did DQ him. What are some, uh, that's just crazy. What, what are some other uh, reasons people get disqualified from the race? Well, I've had um, some other elite athletes that have come in and not even elite athletes, anybody. Um, They come in and they cut the course. And so this guy studied the course well enough to figure out where he could cut a few blocks off and still, you know, get back up with the other runners. And he cut the course. And so we DQ'd him. United States Track and Field has lots of rules. One of the rules is you cannot have somebody age you. So we had a runner that she came in overall masters in our marathon, but she had a cyclist aiding her the whole way, handing her ice, handing her nutrients, giving her tips, and um, riding up ahead and getting stuff for her, bringing it back to her. So I had to DQ her. (laughs) Wow. Those are are probably pretty interesting conversations. (laughs) 
So I was reviewing some of the stats about the Cowtown Marathon, and uh, and they all blew me away, really. I just learned so much. And I noticed that male registrants haven't been really growing like the female registrants. And you can fact check me on that. I may have misread it, but why why is there more growth in, in women runners? Good question, because it's split. It used to be just the complete opposite. Um, back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, it was the men that were the more more uh, runners than the females. I think it's the half marathon distance. It's a real doable distance. I think um, even myself, uh, there's a lot of women that like to go on girls trips and they make girls trips. They make marathons and half marathons into their girls trips. Uh, so it's a lot of camaraderie between women uh, running together. Um, and uh, I think it's most of them are in half. I mean, the half marathon is such a doable distance for somebody that's a working mom, that's got kids at home, but a career. But they that's that distance, they can still get their miles in. And it's opened the door for a lot of women. Before, there wasn't that many halves, you know, up until under the 2000s. And now that now we have half marathons, and it's just, it's a doable distance. If you'll notice on our stats, there's more men in the full. The men have more time than the women to train for a full than women do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, that's a, that's much more manageable. And so you, you're just basically telling me that it's because the, the duration and the distance has become very popular for women because it's manageable. It's manageable for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, it doesn't beat you up either. I mean, it's one of those races. You can do a half marathon and you can still walk the next day. Yeah. Or you can <laughs> maybe for a few days. Yeah. I can't say that I've ever run that far before. Um, so I, I love to hear a couple of stories about runners. My, my business partner, Lee, uh, Ellis has run, um, all five events. You have five events, right? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. He's uh, run, seven. Okay. Yeah. So he's run all the events that he, he, he mentioned that to me and he's a, he's an avid runner. He loves running. Um, in the last few years, he's been running with a special runner, um, and doing the 5k with him. Tell us about, uh, Ernie LaCroix. Ernie LaCroix. I love Ernie. He's the sweetest man in the world. Um, I have known Ernie probably for 23, 24 years. He started running right after I started working for Cowtown. And back when we were housed in a little tiny office space over with the UNT Health Science Center, every year after the race, he would come in because back then we didn't mail out um, age division awards. They'd have to come pick them up if they didn't get them at the award ceremony. He'd come to our office and he'd get his picture taken with me. We've got like 24 pictures of me and Ernie with him and his age division medal for all those years. And so, um, and then it got to be where, you know, he was the only one in his age division. So he always won the age division because he's 101. And <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> He celebrates his birthday with us. He turned he'll, he turned a hundred a hundred on race day two years ago, and then this past year he turned a hundred and one the day before. And he and his whole family they fly in, they come and they do the five k. And on his birthday, he um, did the five k, and we had him. He got a proclamation from the mayor at the start line, and we had all the runners out there. So he had happy birthday serenaded to him by about, I don't know, 10, 12,000 runners saying happy birthday to him. That's so heartwarming. I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) 
that's that gave me chills. And and you know, my uh, Lee told me that um, you know he's definitely part of the the greatest generation and uh, flew seventy missions in a in a B twenty five as the pilot in World War II. Like what yes. a stud! Um, Lee sent me a picture of him with the metal and uh, with Lee with his arm around him and just a uh, super, super cool. There are, I'm Sweetest sure. Man's. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Last well, year he well, had his, he had his Walker. So part of the, part of the 5k, it was with his Walker and part of it, it was just on his own, but he made it. He did the whole thing at 101 years old. That is incredible. That's, that doesn't give me much of an excuse. <laughs> 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 well, so, while you have the airwaves here, um, do you have any, Heidi, do you have any sort of public service announcement to the runners that maybe something that you wish all the runners knew um, that you would want to tell them? Um, I think I'd love for them to really realize where their money goes to because years the Cowtown and we lost money. I mean, for years, the Cowtown didn't make money. We were in the red every single year and our sponsors were actually underwriters. So they would make up the difference and help keep it so the Cowtown could happen. I remember one year there was even discussion, do we even do this race anymore? Because we kept losing money, losing money. Um, and then 2005 was the first year that we actually got out of the red. And then all of a sudden, because the, we tripled in size, we actually had some proceeds, but people didn't realize that. People are always like, where does all the money go to? Well, it's really expensive to put on a race, first off. It's, you know, $1.8 million of expenses to put on this race. It's not inexpensive. So the proceeds, there are proceeds now. There weren't, there didn't used to be. And so now we have the charity and people don't realize that we give back to the community 43,000 pairs of shoes in the last 11 years. And we're giving these, these kiddos only pay $8 to run and they get their, they get their training. We train them for three months. We get them medals. We give them shirts. We give them running shoes. We give them socks and we don't give them cheap socks. We give them, if you're a runner, you know, features, we, we give them feature socks, which if you go into the shoe store and buy them, they're $16 a pair. And we buy them from features at a discount. And we don't get the shoes donated that we're giving to these children. We're buying them. So we're buying a thousand pairs of shoes every year. And people don't realize that it goes to these kids. It goes to promote fitness in the community. It goes to help us keep our community healthy and active. So these kids, as they grow up, know the importance of being fit and active and hope continue it on in their life as they they. Uh, get through college and start careers and they continue to be healthy. So our society can continue to be healthy. So, I mean, it's just like a hidden gem, our CAF program, and people don't realize what's, what's involved with it. We also have a scholarship program people don't know about. We have high school students that come in and they commit the four years of high school to come and volunteer for us. And we, we mentor them and we teach them all sorts of things about putting on events and business and everything else. And then these kids, after they volunteer for us, they have to volunteer 20 hours a year for us. But once they become a senior, and oh, and they have to run or walk one of our events every year, then they get a cash scholarship. We don't care what they major in. It doesn't have to be in track. It doesn't have to be in sports. We just want them to see the importance of volunteering and working in your community. And so we have a scholarship program. And we give out, you know, anywhere between four to 12 scholarships a year 
from $2,000 to $6,000 a child. So, so people don't know those things. And it's just, we, we really are community oriented. Everything we do is to try to help this community and to build the community. And you just, if, if you want to see some amazing volunteers, you come to the Cowtown. We have volunteers that have been with us for all 43 years. We have generations. They started with their grandparents were volunteers and then the parents and now the kids are adults and they're volunteering for us. They, it's just an amazing, amazing group of people. And people don't realize the work, the time that all these people in the community put on. It, there's only five in the Cowtown office. It takes a whole lot more than five people to make this happen. And the volunteers are the backbone. Well, so that that's just awesome way to describe it. I mean, I, I uh, you're definitely teaching me more about the background of where your heart is. I could, I wish everybody listening to this podcast could could see uh, the excitement in your face as you describe <laughs> the the difference that you're making. Um, so now I'd like to switch to the fans and and give you the opportunity. Is there any sort of thing that you would like to tell? Um, the spectators um, in a sort of a public service announcement type format? (laughs) Well, just that they're really important, that the spectators are just as important as the volunteers um, because they're what keep those runners motivated to finish, especially like if you're out there on that marathon course at mile 20 when runners are pretty much run out of all energy, all gas, and they've still got six more miles to go. And those spectators make all the difference in the world. You're what they see when they're just feeling worse they could feel. And a lot of these, we have every state in the United States represented. We have 16 foreign countries. So what you're doing is you're being the front to the community. You're showing all these people from out of state and different foreign countries how friendly Fort Worth is and how wonderful a city it is. And it'll make them want to come back. It'll make them want to come back and just visit our city because of the friendliness of our spectators. And I don't think spectators realize the value that they have. They are so valued. And runners appreciate having people cheer them on along the route. So if you want to be out there, we would love to have you out there. It just makes all the difference in the world. (laughs) That's great. Well, um, so the... So beside the the fans, like from a business standpoint, obviously the runners are the customer, right? They're the they're the target. They're they're who you're wanting to please. What are what are some of the things specifically that you do uh, as a team to help the runners feel cared for? We 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 respond to them. If they call us, we answer the phone. If they email, we answer them back. We try to do it quickly. We want them to know how much we appreciate them. Uh, we, we make sure that they're okay. If, if they have questions, we want to help them. If they have questions about training, we get Tamara, our training coach, on the phone with them or email them, and we help them. We, you know, anything we can do to help them on their journey, because like I said, it's a journey when they start training for one of these distances, and if they don't make it to completion, then they don't make it to race day. So we want to be there and assist them all the way through their journey. So we, we just make a point to be available. We make a point to answer the phone, answer questions, and try to help them in any way we can. 
I love that. And it sounds like that's a differentiating uh, factor between you and other race promoters. Is that right? It is. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is. <laughs> yeah. So simple, right? It seems so like such a simple thing, yet you're the rarity for doing it. So high five for you. It's, sim- <laughs> awesome. it's, it's simple, but it's Fort Worth way. We want to make sure that we stick with our roots. And that's what Cowtown was when it started back in 79, 80. It was, it was a small mom and pop type of an event. And it was very hometown feel. And that's the goal is never to lose that hometown feel. It doesn't matter how big we are. We still need to feel like it's hometown. Well, you are leading the charge in that for sure. That is a, that's a great, <laughs> great answer. So uh, a little birdie, Hannah Behrens, uh, told me, and uh, she didn't know for sure, but she, she heard or maybe somehow figured out that when the race is over and it's done, that you go out and run the course by yeah. yourself. Is that I true? do. Is that true? I don't do it. I, I do. I don't do it completely by myself. We have mm-hmm. um, we have a few board members that have to work on race weekend, and I have a few really committed volunteers that work on race weekend. But we we want to run the route, so we do. We there's you know some years it's maybe four of us, some years it could be eleven of us, and we will run the half marathon route. And um, we have another volunteer that has, she'll meet us at the finish line, and she'll present us with our medals. <laughs> <laughs> got to get your bling. Our, that's got to be an. Get our bling. That's got to be an emotional experience, Heidi. Just you know, I mean, like an emotional release. Do you experience it that way? It is, and it's it's quite amazing. I mean, you know, obviously we're doing it after the race where there's no core support, but there's no police to stop the cars, so you know we're dodging traffic, and you know there's no water stops, so we've got somebody that is in a car that pops up in their trunk every time they see us. We get solder Gatorade, um, but it's cathartic to be able to run the race that all those thousands of runners had just finished and to be able to, we're not seeing what they saw, but we're seeing the bare, the, the bareness of what they saw. It, wow. It's pretty, pretty critical. That's so cool. Well, I'd like to uh, to wrap up the show, um, Heidi, with a few fun, lighthearted, rapid fire questions. Um okay. And they can be one one uh, word answers, or you can elaborate if you'd like. But just back to the fans um, and these cheering crowds. Um, I got a few. Um, I asked Hannah. She mentioned that the signs were hilarious. I'm like, well, give me some examples of some of these funny signs. And she sent me three of them, which I thought were great, which was Chuck Norris never ran a marathon. Right. Uh, all toenails go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my, and my personal favorite, which is you can run better than the government. <laughs> and, she, and she said the worst one that she didn't like, uh, the most annoying award. Uh, I mean, uh, not award. The most annoying sign, sign was uh, worst parade ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is one. I think the worst sign I've seen is you're almost there. Don't ever tell a runner you're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst, especially when you're on mile 12 or whatever. Yes. There's probably certain walls that you have to get over and seeing something like that. That's just a lie. It's very. Okay. So um, another question, uh, heel strike, mid strike, toe strike. Heel strike for me, unfortunately. So if I was going to ask you zero drop, drop or pads, you would say pads padded. Okay. Um, can you run the cow town with your dog? 
No, no dogs. There's too many people. Yeah, it would cause trip. It'd be a trip hazard, it would, probably. It it hazard with the leash in the town. Uh, should there be cash prizes for winners? We do have cash prizes for winners. We do. Really? We 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 give out ten thousand dollars worth of cash prizes for the marathon, half and ultra. Cool. How long have y'all been doing that? Oh gosh, probably since about. Mm, 2008, 2009. No, let me think about that. 2000 and so wow. I think 2012 was 2012. the first year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've given anywhere between 10,000 and 30,000. When we've had sponsors to sponsor the cash prizes, it's been more. Now it's just 10,000. And for Cowtown 2021, there won't be cash prizes. Right. And you've um, just, by the way, you've moved that race. It's not at the end of February because of COVID. What is the new date? Uh, It's going to be a one day only, and it's going to be on May 8th. And we've had to eliminate the ultra and the full. And then um, we've eliminated the kids 5k, but sort of eliminated. I mean, the ultra and the full, they can run virtually and the kids 5k. The reason that we're not doing it in person is it's really hard to social distance 8,000 children. Um, and we want to make sure the kids are safe. I can only imagine. Well, so yeah, so the kids, we're giving the schools the option. They can have, they can run it a hundred percent virtually, or we will come to the school and we will bring our inflatable start line and music and finish line food and swag. And we'll put on a race at the schools themselves. We just not going to bring all 8,000 together. We'll do it school by school. Well, that sounds like a really cool plan. Well, Heidi, it's been a super enlightening interview, uh, one that will (laughs) shed a lot of light on what kind of grit is required to run a marathon as a participant and all the behind the scenes effort that goes into putting on this world famous event. Are, Are there any parting words or thoughts from you? Oh, gosh, there's so many. I mean, I just think that people need to realize that there are so many lives that are touched by this race. I mean, we're like one little pebble that just explodes on race day because of we are changing lives. These people that have made this their goal. And it's just such an awesome thing to be able to be a part of people's life changing events. And to the community is part of that, too. And so if you want to help somebody really experience Fort Worth in a unique way, just let us know. We'd love to have you help us. It takes the entire city to make it happen. I love it. Well, so how do people get in touch with you? Uh, they can email us at info, I-N-F-O at cowtownmarathon.org. And you actually look at that email, it sounds like. I do. Yeah, everybody <laughs> in the office does. Every staff person gets that email dropped in their box, and then we have designate who answers it so everybody sees the answers because we want everybody to know what's happening. Just like small town vibe. Way to go. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Heidi. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Well, folks, that wraps up our show for this week. If you found this interview helpful and would like to get pearls of wisdom that I've gathered along the way, go to truegritpodcast.com and subscribe to the True Grit blog. You will get short, helpful emails written by yours truly. Included in these posts, you will also get the show notes with links to books, articles, and other cool things I run across. Thanks, as always, for listening to the True Grit Podcast, where we believe that personal growth and helping each other solve important problems is the best way to make the world a better place. And don't forget, building a company and a life of meaning takes truth.
true grit. 